Homeward is committed to partnering with parents and equipping you with the resources you need to raise your kids to become responsible adults. And Steadfast Companies, a leading real estate investment company, is proud to partner with Homeward to bring you the following podcast presentation. How do you feel? Better. Well, what's the catch? Pray to Jay, I did the same old, same old. Stay where you are. I prefer to handle this. Damn. I'm Jim Burns. The busyness of modern life has left many couples feeling overcommitted and underconnected. And as a result, a husband might feel as though he gets more satisfaction from his job than he does from his wife. And a wife might discover she likes putting more time into her relationship with her children than she does with her husband. While both of these pursuits are, in fact, quite noble, they really don't help a married couple find what they long for. And that's freedom and fulfillment in their marriage. During the next half hour, I'll continue my conversation with Dr. Chuck Mylander about some practical ways you can start experiencing Christ together with your spouse. Well, that's on Homeward, and it starts right now. From the studios of the Homeward Center for Youth and Family on the campus of Azusa Pacific University, welcome to Homeward with parenting and family expert, Dr. Jim Burns. I'm Roger Marsh. If you are looking to complete your degree, if you started into college and then you stopped going to college and you're looking for a way to get back into college, the Azusa Pacific Bachelor of Science in Organizational Leadership degree is one of many online programs in the degree completion program of professional studies that you can take advantage of. I'm a part of it right now. It's a it's a very challenging curriculum, but it's it's very, very worthwhile, and ultimately the goal is completion there. For more information, you can send me an email if you'd like to ask me a question at roger at homeward.com or just go to apu.edu. Okay, let's get to it now. Part two of Dr. Jim Burns' two-part conversation with Chuck Mylander, Finding Freedom and Fulfillment in Marriage, here on Homeward. Welcome to Homeward. I'm Jim Burns. Today is a continuing conversation about finding freedom and fulfillment in marriage. You know, the best thing you can do for your marriage is to resolve as many personal conflicts as possible, and that will help connect you to your spouse and bring intimacy. Dr. Chuck Mylander is with us. Again, he is the executive director of the Evangelical Friends Mission, which is the sending organization for Friends Churches all throughout the United States. We talked about this last time, but Kathy and I were married at a Friends Church, and actually I was a youth pastor at a church called Yorba Linda Friends here in Southern California. He lives in Brea, California with his wife, Nancy. They have two grown children and they have five grandchildren. Chuck, welcome back to our program. Thank you. I was so intrigued by our conversation last time because I think all of us want freedom and fulfillment in marriage, but a lot of us would say, I had more freedom and I had more fulfillment and then I got married. And, you know, it it just caused a lot of problems. And you see people uh, today who would oftentimes think that in a marriage, um, it's supposed to be like it was back in the days, back in the 50s, when there was, you know, the husband was the provider, the wife pretty much stayed at home, and they had 3.2 kids. That's not the case anymore, is it? No, absolutely not. We live in a different world, and we're not going to go back. But this world has more blacks and whites in it, in that... You're either all out for Christ or you're not. And if you're all out for Christ, then your marriage needs to show it. And it's one of the best potential laboratories of what a difference Christ makes in a life. But we still do have kids, and kids will change marriage. In fact, I think the first baby changes marriage more than the wedding altar. You know, that's an interesting comment. I think that was probably the case for Kathy and me in some ways, because we uh, we got married and we were involved in, in ministry, and all of a sudden, you know, 
a baby came along and we said, wow, how, how are we going to juggle this? Because we both were kind of focused on the ministry side. And now we had, you know, our own bundle of joy and ministry, and, and it really did have to make some adjustments. You talk about Christ, and you've written a great book along with Neil Anderson, Experiencing Christ Together, Finding Freedom and Fulfillment in Marriage. And when you talk about putting Christ first in a marriage, you say that we will do damage to our marriages and our families if we place greater prominence on them than we do on our relationship with God. A lot of times people are either focused on their marriage more than on God, or they're focused on their children more than they're focused on their marriage. What you're saying is, put God first. Absolutely. Marriage is made for three, Christ being the first. And we need to know his freedom, his power, his love, his grace. The list can go on and on of his character qualities in order to be at the best in our marriage. If we reverse the order, it's trying to pull a train with a caboose. It doesn't work real well. The power is in Christ, and the love is in Christ, and the perseverance is in Christ. And so when we know who we are in Christ, when we're free in Christ, when we know we're children of God, when, and I, you know, I think most Christians really are trying to to follow Christ. The home becomes, and all committed relationships become the primary source that God uses to transform us, the primary source for our sanctification. Church is important. I'm a pastor. I believe that. The Word of God is important. I love to teach the Bible, and I believe it's foundational. How does it get applied? My wife most often, with love and great precision, nails me on the things (laughs) where I don't practice what I preach or where I'm out of bounds or overboard or out of balance. And sometimes my children, I have a, a daughter, Lisa, absolutely wonderful. I think the world of her. She has the gift of discernment. And with one phrase, she can undo, yeah. you know, all my facades. Yeah. And I, I greatly treasure that. Committed relationships are the laboratory in which the Christian life grows. Yeah. Now, what do you say to the family? And I, I see this as so many in the American family who, you know, they, they want this. And yet they're so focused on their children that they kind of lack the intimacy with each other. And frankly, a lot of times they'll lack intimacy with God. I was talking to somebody the other day who said soccer is getting in the way of our relationship with the church right now because we're, we have games on Sunday morning. And really, our whole focus is on these one, two, three kids who uh, you know we're trying to raise. And we want them to be raised godly. But right now, my wife and I hardly have any time to talk. And frankly, it's, not, it's been a real dry time spiritually. What would you say to those people? I would say two things that are the opposite, because there's a paradox here. On the one hand, we want to be really good parents, Christian parents, because we want the best for our kids. That's natural and normal. On the other hand, if we do not model a good marriage, we're not giving our kids the best. In other words, there are times when we need to get babysitters for the kids, or the times we need to make sure that soccer doesn't come before church camp and Sunday school and worship and the things that model a Christian marriage. We have to have time alone. We have to save some energy for each other. Energy for sex, energy for romance, energy for being out together. The kids will inevitably know. You cannot fool children, especially when they get to adolescence. They will inevitably know how good their parents' marriage is or isn't. And they will decide for themselves is this the kind of marriage I want? Does this Christian marriage really work? So if they pour all their energy into the kids, they actually hurt the kids. 
And it's a strange paradox. You have to have some time away from the kids in order to do the best for the kids. Right. You know, I heard somebody say once, you know, do yourself a favor and do your kids a favor and love your spouse. And in many ways, what you're saying is we, we do need to role model that. Now, fascinating enough, you know, lots of marriages are in pain. That's not fascinating. It's true. And you suggest that when people are hurting, their overwhelming thought is to stop the pain. But being married does not resolve the core personal issues that many of us have. What do you say to the person who says, you know what, there's a lot of pain here. I want to stop this right now. What's your suggestion? Well, I've, first of all, my heart goes out to the person who's in pain. I have sat in counseling rooms again and again with people whose stories are incredible. And the easiest thing to say to them would be just get out of this marriage. It's hardly ever the right thing to say to them. So what I say is something like this. Are you willing to pay any price to become the person of God he wants you to be, whether or not you save your marriage? And most Christians will respond, yes, I am. Well, then go to work on yourself. Um, get totally right with Christ yourself and ask him to resolve your pain. Uh, find comfort in Christ. And there's a simple way to go to, way and <laughs> go to work on yourself. And that simple way is ask your spouse, or most wives already know, what are his list of excuses? And go to work on eliminating them. Now, before you ever start, know that when you get rid of that first list of excuses, there will be a second list come up. So you work on them, they're gone, and sure enough, he's not pleased. And that's very discouraging. But he's not pleased because he's got a new list. But you remove the second list, and about that time, he begins to think, you know, this is not just some kick she's on. She's actually changing. And marriage is like a teeter-totter. When one changes, the other will inevitably change, sometimes for the better, but more often, I mean, most often for the better, sometimes for the worse. But they will change. And so if you remove the second list, and sometimes there's a third one, but it's usually short, uh, that really grabs the spouse's attention. Now, it doesn't always save the marriage, but often it does and often it'll make a significant difference. Mm, great, great input. Listen, we're going to have to take a break. So Roger, why don't you take it away, and we'll be right back with more to come on Homeward. Well, we've got some marriage resources for you. If you're listening to Homeward right now, you just tuned in, caught the last couple minutes of Jim's conversation with Chuck Mylander here on finding freedom and fulfillment in marriage. One of the best things that you can do for your marriage is to spend time in God's Word together. And our Homeward Daily Online Devotional is a great way to do that because it's very short, pithy, as they say in the industry, but it's also very powerful. It's a nugget of encouragement, a Bible verse, uh, all written by the staff here at Homeward. You can do it in just a couple of minutes. For more information on how to get that going, uh, just go sign up for the free subscription at homeward.com. I'm Jim Burns from Homeward with a real-life answer to the question of how you can help your spouse feel appreciated in your marriage. You can start by trying to make gratitude a daily habit. Well, it will definitely make your spouse wonder what you're up to. Go out of your way to show your spouse how much you appreciate them. It's the golden rule right out of the Bible. Treat others the way you want to be treated. Well, if your spouse feels appreciated, honored, respected, and loved, those feelings will most likely be returned to you big time. But you just don't do it for what you get out of it. Do it because it's the right thing to do. Developing an attitude of gratitude toward your spouse will put you well on the way to creating that intimate marriage you've always desired. For a free copy of my new tip sheet called Creating an Intimate Marriage, go to Homeward.com. I'm Jim Burns of Homeward with Real Life Answers. 
Welcome back. I'm Jim Burns. Today, Chuck Mylander is with us. We're talking about finding freedom and fulfillment in marriage. It's a continuing conversation. By the way, Chuck is the executive director of the Evangelical Friends Mission, which is the sending organization for Friends Churches all throughout the United States. He lives in Brea, California, which is not too far from here in the same county as our studios here in San Juan Capistrano, California. He lives with his wife, Nancy, and they have two grown children. They have five grandkids. Chuck, something that you said that really, you know, I underline, it's stuck with me. Uh, you remind couples that love is a command, not a demand. Talk about that impact and how that can be an impact for our marriages. When men demand sex, when women demand affection, when anybody demands more time, it tends to create resentment. But when we obey the command to love one another and give these things freely as gifts, then that builds a marriage. Um, it's that self-sacrificing love that Jesus demonstrated on the cross, and we have to demonstrate every day, that makes the difference. Hmm. No, that makes sense. Now, turning our our attention to the bedroom, since you brought the uh, sex word up, Neil has a great illustration in this book about his relationship with his wife, Joanna, what she said to him. Do you remember that? Yes, I do. She said, uh, you know what really turns me on? It's when you spend time with our children, playing with our children. Neil said, hmm, I think I like this. Yeah. Great illustration. Right. And when we do the things that give to others, that may well be the turn on. Who knows? Exactly. And, and that's, again, going back to that whole demand, command thing. Exactly. That, you know, we're called, to, uh, we're called to love and we're called to serve. And when we do that, then the relationship obviously is going to get stronger. Now, we've talked somewhat in this conversation about pain. And I, I know the last time we talked a little bit about forgiveness, but you've got an outline that you call 10 Steps to Forgiveness that I really think is worth reviewing. Now, we're probably not going to be able to take all 10 steps, but give us some of the high points of some steps for forgiveness, because it seems to me that in a lot of marriages, we have a lot of low-level bitterness, low-level anger, and, and really a lack of forgiveness. Now, some people wouldn't think that that was the case until they're kind of presented with it. But if they do need to forgive their spouse for something, what are some of the steps they should do to go about doing that? Well, I would start by saying we need to probably forgive our spouse every day for something. There's always something. And so forgiveness needs to become a way of life. But when it comes to a tough issue, uh, let me just highlight two or three of the steps that I think are the most crucial. One is at the very beginning, allow yourself to feel the pain the hurt, the resentment, the bitterness. Just saying, I forgive you, can be like sprinkling a little religious foo-foo powder over the thing, and it just becomes a magic ritual, and it isn't forgiveness. Even though we say, oh, yeah, I've, I've, I forgave. I've already dealt with that. No, not really, because you never got into the real pain of the issue. So feel the pain first. And then, of course, you call upon grace to help, God's grace to help. But another part of is releasing it. I think that's the heart of forgiveness. You, you turn hands down. You actually let it go. My pastor, C.W. Perry, for many years, um, used to say, when you turn hands down, sometimes it feels like there's glue on them, and you kind of got to shake it a little bit to actually let it go. And that's the key. Then <clears throat> one of the things that I think people forget is that when I do that, I am agreeing to live with the unavoidable consequences of the other person's sin against me. And those consequences, if they're legal, moral, and ethical, you know, to get rid of them, then of course, get rid of them. We're not saying become masochistic here. But we are saying that there are some consequences that you can't avoid. And so when you forgive, you're saying, you know, I'll live with those. I'll live with those consequences. And here's another good one. Don't ever bring it up again 
except to resolve something. But don't bring it up as a club. Don't bring it up to get even or uh, heal the person or to say, well, there are always consequences. You know, you just said there are consequences I have to live with. And so it becomes a, a constant dig at the other person. Bring it up again means you haven't forgiven. So forgive, let it go. You know, I, I think that's so tough. I tell a story in my book on creating an intimate marriage where I had finished the book and I still needed one chapter. The publisher said, you know, you still have some more words. You understand this. You've got to write so many words. And I thought, you know, I've, I've focused on forgiveness in different places, but I haven't written a chapter on it. And I was actually feeling some resentment toward Kathy for something that she had volunteered and she was so busy. And so I was kind of playing woe is me. And I realized as I was writing this that I needed to forgive her. And what was amazing was it became arrogant for me because I realized I was arrogant because I was asking Christ to forgive me for some really big stuff, and yet I wasn't forgiving Kathy for volunteering to be the grad night co-chair at you know Dana Hills High School, and she was taking precious time away or something. And that, when I used the word arrogant, when I looked at myself, because I don't think I'm very, very arrogant at times anyway, I went, boy, that is so arrogant that I would, here am I, asking Christ to forgive me of my sin, and I'm not willing to forgive Kathy for you know, making a decision about our time. It's a great story. And it reminds me of Colossians 3.13, says, which says, forgive as Christ forgave you. How did he forgive me? How do I want him to forgive me? Well, I just soon he forgive me without any consequences. Right. <laughs> I just soon he forgive me completely. I would just assume that he forgive me freely and fully. So that's the way I'm to forgive. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great concept. And some of us needed to hear that today. When only one spouse in a marriage seems willing to try to use these biblical principles to restore the marriage, what do you say to them? You know, I think this is one of the unique chapters in the book when only one will try, Mm -hmm. because in so many marriages, only one will try. And when one tries, some things can happen. When both try, a lot can happen. But one Christian spouse makes a Christian home. I think that's clearly taught in 1 Corinthians. It doesn't take two Christian spouses to make a Christian home. It doesn't take two Christian spouses to have their children under God's umbrella of blessing. It only takes one. And so for that one to try means a lot. Now let's suppose that it's alcohol or some other kind of addiction. Then what do you do? I, I wrote this little thing on, uh, in, in this very chapter. I will let you be responsible and... I will not knowingly contribute to your being irresponsible. I will not try to force you to be responsible by nagging, condemning, scolding, moralizing. And it goes on and on and on. And it ends up, I will love you, accept you, forgive you, and give you a fresh start whenever you ask for it. To become a sick enabler is not what we mean by one spouse trying. What we mean is that that one gets free in Christ. And like Peter said in 1 Peter 3, so demonstrates the life of Christ that the other one has to take notice. And not always, but sometimes the other one comes around. And every time the children are protected. I've seen this again again. Not that they will not all make their own choices. Some will, and some will make the wrong case, uh, the wrong choice, I mean. But God's protection goes to the children of the faithful spouse who hangs in there. I had a counseling situation that went on for years with a woman who was just in despair. And her husband, nice guy on the outside, but phony at home and with the marriage and everything. And she hung in there. She was faithful until finally he divorced her. And 
her children in their teenage years wore mohawks and everything that goes with it. They were the picture of ultimate rebels. Today, one of them's a pastor and the other one's a missionary. And they are powerfully effective for God. And they married incredibly wonderful girls. Now, how did that happen? I mean, if you could have seen them in those rebellious years, you would have said, man, this family's a disaster. What do you expect? There they go. How did they end up being so effective for Christ? I believe it was because she chose in the hardest times to remain faithful to what the Bible says and to the godly counsel that she got to be faithful. It did not save her marriage. It did save her children. That is a very good statement. Great wisdom. Thank you for being with us today. That's been fun. Great wisdom indeed from Chuck Mylander as we wrap up this two-part conversation here on the Homeward Broadcast. Our theme has been finding freedom and fulfillment in marriage. And if you missed any part of this broadcast and you'd like to have the uh, full audio CD with both part one and part two of Jim's conversation with Chuck, just drop us a line, include a gift of any amount when you write to Homeward, Post Office Box 1600, San Juan Capistrano, California, where the swallows go, the zip code 92693. You can also give a gift online at homeward.com or, or call us if you have any questions. We do have a toll-free number available for you, 800-397-9725. That's 800-397-9725. Drop us a line today. Chuck Mylander has been my guest today on Homeward. We've been talking about some keys for married couples to use to start finding freedom and fulfillment in marriage again. Now, again, it's the process of finding freedom and fulfillment. You can't always be there, but it's important for us to do the work to move toward having and experiencing more freedom and fulfillment, and it can be done. You don't have to have a perfect marriage, and your spouse doesn't have to be perfect either. Not too long ago, I was thinking about a couple that were good friends of Kathy's and mine. And they went through some really tough times in their marriage. And I mean really tough. At one point, they were actually separated for seven months. Now, I don't want to sugarcoat this situation for you. They had issues, and they had big-time issues. Their issues were off the chart. And I mean, I consider myself a pretty positive person. And even I was thinking they were probably headed for divorce. Well, they had gone to counseling, and it really didn't help. I had spent several hours with them myself talking through their issues, but that didn't seem to get very far. Well, finally, one day, they decided to meet with their pastor. Now, I have the utmost respect for pastors, and I really like this pastor especially. But even I didn't give this guy much hope for, well, helping this couple. I mean, I knew their story. Well, you know what? The day after they met with this pastor, they called me and they announced, we're moving back in together. I almost fell off my chair. In all honesty, as I say, it was so surprising, and yet it's what I had hoped for and actually what we had prayed for. I mean, was this really happening? Well, they went on to tell me how their pastor shared two Bible verses with them. Ephesians 5, 22 and 23, I suggest you look it up later. And 1 Corinthians 13, if you don't know that one, look it up later. And then he said to them, this is your blueprint for marriage. If you would follow your blueprint for marriage, you would have an okay marriage. And not all your problems are going to go away, but this is how you do it. Well, in some ways, it really wasn't even good counseling. It was just biblical advice. You know what? It was a great comment because every marriage does have conflict. The key to growing a healthier and more intimate marriage is learning how to resolve that conflict. True, 
But we also need a blueprint, a marriage blueprint. And that particular marriage blueprint was found in the scriptures that I just mentioned. So if you're looking to restore intimacy in your marriage, well, make sure you follow the blueprint laid out for you in God's word. And I know that Roger has some great information about a couple of resources that can help you improve the quality of your marriage and also find that blueprint that you may be looking for. Roger? Absolutely, Jim. Well, one I mentioned just a moment ago, and I'll reiterate it here, the daily online devotional, because uh, a lot of couples find that if they can just spend even a couple of minutes praying together. Uh, Dr. Gary Chapman says you just hold hands and pray silently. That's a good start. But also doing a devotional like our online devotional. It's very, very easy to use because it's very short. It's just one page. It's a quick email blast. Comes out Monday through Friday. And it doesn't take a lot of time to read it. Doesn't take a lot of time to work through it. But And it's free. Did I mention it's free? Free subscription at Homeward.com. Also, Dr. Jim Burns' book, Creating an Intimate Marriage, has been a very, very powerful tool uh, that couples have used just individually, um, husband and wife reading it together, small group Bible study or Sunday school class. There's lots of curriculum and audio resources that go along with that too. If you'd like to order that information, of course, you can get that from homeward.com. When you do get it from our website, a portion of the proceeds goes to supporting us. We truly appreciate that financial support. Jim, this is kind of a new day for us. I mean, it's people are contacting us online, smartphone technology, lots of ways for people to stay engaged. And I'm amazed that they not only listen here in the United States, but they listen abroad internationally. That's right. We're getting so many emails and requests from people who are outside the United States. States too, yeah. and that's that's actually exciting for me. You're going to have uh, a lot of frequent flyer miles by the time this year <laughs> is over. That's well, I don't sure. think I have to go out there. That's the beauty of broadcasting. Right, right. So that's why we do need your financial support to be able to really reach out to these people. Appreciate it so very, very much. And again, thanks so much for listening today to Homeward. I'm Jim Burns, and we appreciate you greatly. Homeward with Jim Burns is a production of the Homeward Center for Youth and Family at Azusa Pacific University.